Um, if you have the black Bible, we come in. I think it's page seven eighty-five. Um, but before we, before we read the scripture, though, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. And God, and I, I thank you, Jesus, that um, so many years ago you spoke these very words to your disciples. That I pray, Heavenly Father, the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds to the understanding that we would know how these very words are living and breathing and able to change our lives. God, I ask as we open our, our time of uh, message, Heavenly Father, that your words would show so true in our lives. We thank you, Lord. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Starting with verse, or chapter 1, starting with verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Excuse me, folks, as we're sharing stands here and trying to get set up. All right, so this morning we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20, as Josh has read for us. And as we continue our study of the Gospel of Mark, the, the last time we were uh, meeting together, we looked at Jesus' kingdom invitation. Uh, Jesus, uh, Mark is, is specifically point by point just laying out uh, what it looked like at the time where Jesus came to earth and began to minister. And he invites us to know that uh, Jesus uh, Christ is, is the anointed one. Uh, he is the son of God. And then we looked at uh, how specifically John the Baptist had come and been pointing to Jesus, pointing the way. And then we looked at Jesus' uh, baptism and, and how the Jesus' baptism, we saw the signs pointing the way that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. And we looked at Jesus' temptation. We looked at, immediately after Jesus' temptation, his introduction of the kingdom. And now we're going to take a look at, uh, if you have uh, in your Bible a little title, it's often referred to as uh, Jesus' calling his disciples. So here's what I, I want to walk away with this morning. If I uh, were to point to two things that I think would be important to take away from our text this morning, I'd like to give you a little outline, a little uh, mental note for your brain to process the, the journey of our sermon. Uh, and the first is this. I want us to see in, in uh, Mark 16, 1-20, more of a big picture. And that big picture perspective of what Mark is doing is, Mark is going to give us a clear understanding of Jesus' mission. 
And the second thing that Mark 16 through 20 is going to do, specifically verse 17, we're going to have a clear understanding of what it means to be a follower or disciple. Right? So I want to introduce these, these two uh, important aspects of Jesus' ministry. One big picture, and one we're going to really zoom in. It's almost like if you were thinking of the story. One, I, I want to give you a, a, a broad brush. And the second one, we want to zoom in, like literally one single frame, freeze, and we want to discuss a little bit uh, and dig down into verse 17. And let's talk big picture. If I were to ask you this question, and you see behind me, about Jesus' mission, Jesus' mission, or why did Jesus come into the world, what would you think or say? Now, uh, unfortunately, I probably gave it away to you here behind me already. Uh, yes. Uh, is, I would say, for maybe you thought about it for a second before you saw the answer. For, for many of us, and you notice I have number two, is when we think of why did Jesus come into our world, most of us might immediately go to the gospel, which is Jesus came to die for our sins which is absolutely 100% true. One of the things that God was doing in taking on human flesh was God became a man so that he could take on sin for us, that he, could, that he could offer his life, that he could die on the cross for sins. And so when we think of Jesus' mission, this is one of the, the things that immediately comes to our mind. But one of the things when I think big picture that I want to make sure you get is that Jesus came into the world not just to die on the cross for sins, but he came to make disciples. Jesus came to make disciples. Now, the reason we, that Mark takes us to the big picture is Mark here, uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, and it also, if you, if, just to give you a broader brushstroke, Matthew 4, 18 to 22, John 1, 35 to 42, and Luke 5, 2 through 11, all record the same event. And it is as soon as Jesus announces the kingdom, as soon as Jesus makes known this offer of the kingdom, where Jesus invites us to repent and believe in the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, is the first story that follows that is Jesus making disciples or inviting followers. Now, the thing I want us to get, big picture before we dig down in the text, is when we look at the story of Jesus, the story that, now, that we begin to today is going to f uh, be uh, unfolded for the entire rest of the gospel. In Mark, and Matthew, and John, and Luke, it is all a story of how Jesus has come to announce the kingdom, and he's coming to invite workers that he can apprentice to begin to work in the kingdom. Every single gospel, and in fact, all of the New Testament, and in fact, all of church history, is following this one singular theme, is that when after Jesus comes to announce the kingdom, the singular thing that begins to def that define Jesus' ministry is making disciples. Inviting people to follow him, apprenticing them, investing in them, seeing them fully trained and equipped, not fully mature, but trained and equipped, and then sending them out. This is the broad brushstroke that we need to see. So when you think about why did Jesus come, 
we immediately often know the answer. Jesus came to die on the cross for sin. He came to take care of uh, our sin problem. But actually, Jesus did much more than that. Jesus came to invite us how to live in the kingdom. Jesus came to invite us what this looks like to hear the gospel and respond. And we're going to take a look at that. Now, just to kind of prove that point, I want to fast forward. This is the gospel of John. So today, I want you to hear from Jesus in his own terms, in his own words. So we're going to unpack Jesus' mission. We're going to unpack discipleship all by looking at what Jesus says about himself. Our starting place is Mark, but I want to take us real quickly, if you are in our core group, you know we studied a lot of John. Now, I want you to understand, when we talk about Jesus' mission and why I would say it wasn't just to come to die on the cross for our sins, Jesus' mission was to make disciples. Look at John 17, 4. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is at the uh, uh, end of, of Jesus' time with his disciples, right? If you know this passage, John 13 to 17, is all one specific night of Jesus spending with his disciples before he was crucified. And Jesus uh, is praying in front of them in John 17. He says, I glorified you on earth. He's praying to God, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Now, real quickly, what is that work? Jesus is saying, I glorified you, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. He's specifically not talking about his work of dying on the cross. And Jesus is saying that his work is done. He says, I have glorified you, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. We'll take a look at a few more verses, but what was that work? That work was calling and inviting 12 men to follow him, inviting them to take part of his everyday life, investing and reproducing in himself, getting to the end of his journey right before his death, and knowing that his disciples were ready to be sent back out. That was Jesus' work. Jesus' work was people. His work was people. So Jesus came to make disciples, and he came to offer his life on the cross for our sin. John 17, 8 says, For I have given them the words you've gave me, and they have received them. He's talking about specifically his 12. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. So Jesus is saying, his disciples know and understand. I came from God. I came on his mission. I've given uh, to my disciples everything the Father has spoken to me. And Jesus says, they believe that you sent me. And lastly, John 17, 18, Jesus is going to say, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So we started just to kind of, once again, show you the big picture. Mark 1, verse 16 to 20, we see the very first uh, thing that Jesus is going to do after announcing the kingdom is he's going to start apprenticing people to work in the kingdom. We call this being a disciple, right? A disciple, uh, you all know this, I'm not telling you anything new. A disciple is simply a learner. It was a system that they knew and understood. Uh, you had a rabbi or a teacher. You had a follower or a learner. Now, Jesus is going to take that system and completely flip it on its head. And Jesus is going to, instead of learners looking at the various rabbis who they could learn from, right? Think about this. If you have uh, your, your uh, if you've pursued your education, then you, at some point in time, you probably thought, at which institution do I want to learn? Do I want to be trained? 
And then you go to that institution and then you receive a certificate from a university or from a high school. And it's, that certificate is in a very specific thing. You're trained uh, for a very specific uh, job or task or profession. Jesus is going to take this and really flip it on its head. Instead of learners looking for a rabbi and saying, which rabbi do I want to learn from? Jesus is going to flip this. And immediately in Mark 1, verse 16 through 20, Jesus, as the rabbi, is going looking for disciples. And he's going to invite them. It's a summons. Jesus shares that the kingdom is open and he summons people to come and follow him. So Jesus takes the system and he completely puts it on his head. Jesus goes looking for disciples. Jesus goes looking for followers. And Jesus is going to apprentice them. So big picture, if I were to say it in one word, you need to understand Jesus' mission wasn't to only come and die for our sins. You need to understand Jesus' mission was to make disciples. Kingdom apprentices. Now, let me just clarify why that is important. You think, I, I know those things, or I know that's not new. The challenge is, is that if we only think in terms of Jesus coming to die for our sins, we tend to think in terms of a system of belief. I have received Jesus, which means I am now going to heaven. We, we tend to think of, uh, of our faith more as a, a certain truth that I adhere to or I hold to, which leads to a type of Christianity which is he thinks of I'm a Christian or I'm a church member and a type of Christianity that mainly just comes to attend a church as opposed to participate in Jesus' mission. The second understanding of Jesus uh, saying I'm coming to make disciples begins to change our understanding of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to save me. He came to train me for participating in the saving mission. Those two thoughts are completely different. Jesus didn't come only to bring us into the kingdom. That was we, th- we tend to think Jesus came to offer salvation, and if I believe in him, then I am now saved. Jesus came to bring us into the kingdom and to invite us to participate in saving others, right? That's 2 Corinthians 5.17, right? We're ambassadors for the kingdom. Uh, that we were called God's co-laborers, God's co-workers. God came to save us so we would participate with him. Okay? Now, that might seem like, how is that all in this text? If you don't understand the big picture here, you, you'll miss out on the rest of Mark and Matthew and Luke and John. All the Gospels have one central theme. Jesus has come to call disciples, to call apprentices for the kingdom. Now, This is simply that slide. If I were to put it simply, Jesus' mission is to make disciples and to die for our sins. That is not a complete uh, and fully theologically formed, but I'm just laying out two concepts, right? Make sure you're thinking of both. Now, I want to zoom in now. Instead of that broad, I want to zoom in. And this is where we're going to just get practical with what is a disciple. Now, That word is not in this text when we think about a disciple, right? Jesus talks about followers. But if you're going to understand the gospel of Mark, 
immediately, beginning in chapter 2, we're going to see disciples, constant references to Jesus' disciples, those who are, are being asked and invited to follow him. And in Mark 17, let's read this together and begin to unpack it. It says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, more, I don't know how long ago, Tim preached uh, a, a sermon, I would say, almost to a T, talking about the three aspects of what it is to be a disciple, right? Defining what it is to be a disciple. I know I've talked with Doug. Doug also is going to talk about three aspects of uh, being a disciple. I think we talked about it in our training. But for those of you uh, who were not a part of uh, when we, with Tim, shared on this specific passage, uh, or at our evangelism training, let me unpack these for you. And I want to look at these three phrases. Follow me, which specifically we're going to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, to be a disciple is to follow a person. We're not talking about a religion. We're not talking about a denomination. We're not talking about even a specific theology, although uh, Jesus is going to share with us truths about who God is that form our theology. But we're talking about following a person. Secondly, I will make you become. We're going to look at a disciple is somebody who's being transformed by Jesus. Is that when we enter into the kingdom, the kingdom is sim- not simply repenting and believing as, as if it's a knowledge thing where I believe that Jesus is bringing the kingdom. Jesus is literally coming to change our lives, right? We were constantly here in the New Testament of this talk of a new creation. And lastly, fishers of men. And we're going to talk specifically about participating in the mission of Jesus. Now, I told you, I want you to hear just from Jesus on these things. So we're going to take a look around the New Testament, and we're specifically going to look, how does Jesus really define these things and unpack them in his own words? So, Let's take a look at what does it mean to follow me. I want you to take a look at Luke 5, and we're going to read the story of 2-11. Now, one thing that might not be clear. When we read Mark 1, 16-20, Jesus walks by the boats. He walks by Simon and Andrew. He walks by uh, James and John. And as we read the account of Mark, it almost seems like Jesus walks by, he invites them to follow him, and they immediately follow. Which is true, but there's some missing context. First of all, in John, the book of John, uh, the gospel of John, we're told uh, in, in John, I think it's 1, 532 to uh, 47, or, that it was actually Simon and John standing next to John the Baptist. When John points to Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In fact, those two follow Jesus. And Jesus, I don't know if you remember this interaction. Jesus says, What do you seek? And they, they, uh, they're, what they said, you know, they basically, they see John point to him. They want to follow him. Jesus basically says, Come and see. And they're going to follow him. And immediately after, the story of, in John, the Gospel of John tells us, Simon runs home to his brother, or excuse me, Andrew runs home to his brother. We call him Peter. And he says, I think we found the Messiah. Right? Do you remember this from the scriptures? Okay? So when we come to Mark, you know there's already a context. Jesus doesn't walk by these two men, never seen them, never heard them, and calls them, and they immediately respond. 
There's a context. These are disciples of John the Baptist. They had been with John the Baptist when he points to Jesus. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. They follow Jesus because they want to know more about him. And Jesus says, hey, you want to know more? Come and follow. And then after spending time with them, Andrew is convinced. And he goes back and tells his brother and says, come, come and see. All right. Now, the second story, Luke is going to tell us more about what actually happened that day. And I want to dive into this because Mark, if you notice, Mark gives us very short accounts. Uh, And if we look at the other gospels, sometimes we get a fuller picture. Here's the fuller picture of what happened when Jesus walked by Andrew and his brother Simon, who we now call Peter. Same account, different gospel. And he saw two boats. This is Jesus by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and put your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both banks, uh, both boats so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish they had taken. And also were James and John. So here's the other set of brothers. Same stories. The sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, They left everything and followed him. Why did I tell you the larger story? Well, because I think there's something in the story that actually will help you understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. And what's in this story that I think is helpful to you is this. In verse 8, it says, When Peter saw it, when Peter saw what Jesus had done, He fell at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O Lord. First and foremost, following Jesus is recognizing something that you have probably never recognized in your life, or you haven't recognized, and that is your relationship to Jesus. What does Simon call Jesus? His Lord. In fact, if you back up, first he calls him his master, right? This, This Peter is recognizing a relationship with Jesus, and he recognizes a true nature. Now, the Bible actually tells us no one can call Jesus Lord unless by the Holy Spirit. Nobody can call Jesus Lord unless it is by the Holy Spirit. Something happens in Simon's understanding of who Jesus is where he recognizes for the first time. And he confesses, because what happens immediately? He goes to his knees. And he recognizes Jesus as Lord, and then we're told that he follows him. The first thing I want you to see, then, about what it means to follow Jesus, I'll just simplify it, Luke 5, 8, is to recognize Jesus as your Lord. 
Let me tell you just why that's important. To recognize Jesus as Lord literally is, in a sense, you see uh, Simon's posture, is to lay your life down at Jesus' feet and saying, God, it's your will, not mine. My life is yours. I think one of the things where, when we, when we think about church and when we think about why so many people may have a misunderstanding of what being a Christian is, is that in general, we might think that Christianity is about believing the gospel. But there's nothing about this discipleship that leads to life change, where Jesus is going to define a disciple with somebody who is following him, somebody who recognizes him as Lord. And it changed everything for Simon. The difference between following Jesus and still being the one who makes decisions, who's still living out your own will, who's still living out uh, uh, being the, the authority of your own life is completely different than laying your life at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, it's your will. My life is yours. And so one of the first things I want you to see is you've got to remember the story. This story of what led uh, Peter or led Simon and Andrew to leave everything behind and follow Jesus first happened when they recognized who Jesus was. They recognized their true relationship. Jesus is Lord. Now, the second thing I want us to see is, well, what kind of Lord? You know, when you th- we would say, I, when we think of this idea of Jesus being our Lord or our master, once again, worldly terms come in. And I would say, if we were to tell people, maybe people who don't understand the love of God and understand God's goodness, that Jesus is our Lord, and Jesus has invited us to lay our lives down at his feet, then they might have a, a, a view or a perspective of God that would not be a positive one. And so I want to remedy that because I want you to see also what following Jesus is, and that is Matthew 28, 11 to 30. Look at, remember this invitation. Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Right? The image here we have is, is Jesus is, what does it mean to follow? First of all, to recognize Jesus as Lord. Second of all, what does it mean to follow? Jesus' invitation, how, how, how does Jesus lead you as your Lord? How does the God of the universe invite you to follow him? He gives you a picture of what it looks like for two oxen to work together. He is in the yoke, and he invites you to come alongside of him and work with him in his field. The picture that we have, and, and you guys uh, may well know this, is, is that when you train oxen, is that you have an older, mature ox who has already worked the field and he knows your commands, and he knows how the master calls, and he knows what means right and left. And he knows, and one of the biggest problems of, of young oxen was they didn't know how to work the field all day. They used up all their strength trying to push against the other ox. And so they would pair an older ox, and they would pair a younger ox who hadn't worked the fields. And that was how you train an ox, is that he needs to know the rhythm and the pace from working with an older, experienced oxen. This is the image that Jesus brings together for us to say, come and learn from me. So to follow Jesus is literally not to just recognize him as Lord, 
But Jesus gets in the, uh, the harness with us. And he says, listen, I am inviting you to work for the Father. I'm inviting you to work in the kingdom. I'm inviting you to work in the fields. Learn from me. Come alongside. I'm working alongside with you. Uh, I, I will be with you every step. I will show you how. I'll show you how to begin today, and I'll show you how to labor to finish. And so and Jesus says, listen, by the way, that's hard work. But look at Jesus' description. He says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. So the description I want you to understand of following Jesus, in Jesus' own words, one, it's a recognition of Jesus as Lord. And that changes your relationship. It changes who has the authority in, in your life. But two, what Jesus invites you as your Lord is to come and learn. Come alongside of me. Now, secondly, I want to take a look at, there's the summary. 5.8, following Jesus is recognizing he's your Lord. Matthew 11.29, recognizing Jesus' invitation to learn. Number two, what is the second characteristic we see in Mark 1.17? Jesus says, I will make you become. And we're going to take a look at being transformed by Jesus. First text I want you to see is Matthew 6.33. We're going to take a look at, this is from Matthew 5-7. to This is uh, one of the, the longest teaching passages we have of Jesus on the kingdom. And the first thing I want you to see, it says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What does it look like? For Jesus to transform your life, the first one I'll, I'll give you is Jesus invites you to reprioritize your life around the kingdom and righteousness. So how does Jesus invite you? He says, I will make you become. How is Jesus going to be inviting you to learn the kingdom from him? In Matthew 6.33, it's a reprioritization of your life. Before, remember when, when Jesus was not Lord? You were the one who made decisions about your life, about where your life was going, about what was important, about what you valued. And Jesus is going to invite you to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And if you know the context of this, these verses, Jesus was telling us to be, don't be anxious for anything, right? Daily life brings a thousand concerns, a thousand worries about bills, about life, about health. And Jesus is going to simplify for us. So when Jesus says, uh, and I will make you become, there's a transformation that's going to happen. And Jesus, one, is going to show us, here's how you reprioritize your life. Seek first the kingdom. The second thing, as I want you to see, is Jesus' own application of his teaching. We've studied this more than once. This is, uh, especially as a core team, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Jesus has just given uh, his, uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. So it, the picture is Jesus has been, has been out inviting people to be his disciples, inviting followers. He's talking about the kingdom. He spent an afternoon with them, literally sitting among them and sharing about the kingdom. And then Jesus is going to apply what they heard that day. And this is what he says. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, 
and the winds, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The second thing I want you to see is not only does Jesus invite you to reprioritize, he invites you to rebuild the whole foundation on him. So we look at so Jesus basically says. If we understand Matthew 5 to 7, and we, we are trying to understand this simple call, right? Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. How is Jesus going to make us become or, or transform us? Reprioritize our lives around the kingdom. Rebuild our foundation on him. Now, notice I didn't say renovate, right? When you think about the, the word renovate is when, like, you have your house, you have the structure, and you're like, man... I want everything out. Uh, let's pay, repaint the walls. We're gonna we're gonna redecorate all the re's. We're gonna renovate. We're gonna redecorate. We're gonna reinvent our house. I don't like the way it looks. I want you to see that Jesus doesn't give you that option. Is is either the foundation is built on sand or it's built on Him? And Jesus says there's only one of those that will will stand the wind, and the rain, and the test and the trials of life. And I want you to see, when Jesus says that he will transform you, he says, I will make you become, Jesus begins to immediately work for those who have responded to his invitation to follow him, that he reprioritize your life and rebuild your foundation. You want to rebuild your house. Whatever you were building on before, you need to knock down. It won't stand. You can't now just say, okay, here's my foundation. This is what I was doing before. And now I'm adding Christ and I'm going to start building. Jesus says, no, you need a different foundation. So what it looks like to be transformed by Jesus, reprioritize your life around the kingdom and rebuild your life on what on Jesus teaching and what he says is true. Jesus is going to tell you how life works best. He's going to tell you about the Father. He's going to tell you about the Father's mission. He's going to tell you about God's will and plan for your life. And he simplifies that in saying, saying, here's the command. Love God and love people. All right, so we've covered two things. You should understand to follow Jesus is to know him as Lord, an invitation to literally come and learn from him. You're in the the harness with him. You're in the yoke. We see that being changed by Jesus looks like reprioritizing your life around the kingdom and rebuilding your foundation. Lastly, I want to take a look at, and those are these points listed out. What does it mean to be a fisher of men participating in the mission of Jesus? Luke 6.40 tells us very simply, Everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. When Jesus, we looked earlier at John, when Jesus had finished his three-year apprenticeship with his disciples, just like you and me, none of us would sit here and say, we're fully mature. We're mature in Christ. But 
the beauty of what Jesus has called us to as apprentices is that we can be equipped and fully trained to make disciples. Jesus worked with his disciples. They were fully trained to go ahead and make other disciples. They weren't fully mature. No, we don't get there till we see Jesus. But we can be equipped. We can be equipped to make other disciples as we follow Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the curriculum. We're pointing to Jesus. We're pointing to what Jesus has, has told us about the Father. We're pointing to Jesus' mission. This is one you already know, and this is perhaps the most well-known passage on what it is to make uh, disciples of the fishermen. Jesus says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We'll just back up before we get to the response. The last thing I just clearly want you to see is Jesus' purpose in calling you was for you to reproduce. It is that Jesus called you as a disciple to make disciples. That everyone who is a follower of Jesus would become fully trained. And it seems so simple and obvious, but I, I would say this is probably one of the greatest challenges we have as disciples, is that we, we follow Jesus, we grow in our knowledge of Jesus, but very few of us would say we feel fully equipped to make a disciple. Or, right, we, as, just as you were sharing earlier, when, as we had a chance to go out and engage our city, most of us would also say probably... If there was one thing I would identify in my faith that I'm weak and I want to grow in or I, I don't feel confident, it's sharing about Jesus. And so while all of us know this last step, and once again, this is not to try to place guilt. It's just to say, if we are to reflect on Jesus' pattern of discipleship, he wants us to follow him, follow Jesus, to recognize him as Lord, to learn from him. He wants us to be transformed, to reprioritize our life and to rebuild our foundation on him. But lastly, he wants us to make disciples. Jesus' intention in calling you is that you would be a disciple who becomes fully trained and who is able to make new disciples. Basically, spiritual parenting, right? I think, think about this. Uh, the, the joy of when you come together in marriage is that God gives you children. Is that as, as we come together, one of the joys of marriage is that uh, God uh, gives us children. And there's a, a spiritual parenting that takes place, right? There's, there's, as, as, a, as a parent, we desire for our kids to grow up, to be equipped, and to be able to one day have their own family. And we hope to be able to pass our faith onto our children. We want to raise up disciples in our home. And so the most natural and normal thing for, for those of us who have kids is to want to see our kids grow and have a family of their own. The most natural thing for those of us who have become disciples of Jesus is to want to see disciples who are raised up in the church, who are growing and mature in their faith, who are fully equipped and able to reproduce themselves. Now, let me just close with the response. So I hope you clearly saw there's two things. Big picture, big mission, is Jesus came not just to die for our sins, 
and, and to reconcile us to God. Jesus came to disciple us and give us that ministry of reconciliation, right? Jesus has not come just to save us. He has come to invite us to partner with him in his saving mission in the world of bringing more people into the kingdom. Jesus is inviting us to follow him. Jesus is inviting us to be changed by him. And Jesus is wanting us to be participating with him in the mission of making disciples. Lastly, response. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. This is uh, referring to Simon and to his brother Andrew. And in verse 20 it says, And immediately he called them, this is uh, James and John, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat, and hired servants and followed, uh, and the, uh, with the hired servants, and they followed him. The response got into the song was simply one of immediate urgency and obedience. I don't know where uh, each of you are at. I don't know if you're at the stage of wrestling with what it means to follow Jesus. I don't know if you're at the stage of wrestling with what does it mean to be transformed by Jesus. I don't know if you're at the stage of wrestling with what does it look like to participate in the mission of Jesus. What was clear in this passage, though, is that Simon and Andrew and James and John responded immediately because they knew who Jesus was. It was because they knew who he was. It's really that simple. Following Jesus is about following a person. You know, I don't know, if, have, have you ever had to make a very difficult decision in your life and you wondered, how exactly do I make this decision? And has that decision ever come really just down to, do I trust that person or not? Have you ever had that situation where I really don't know how to move forward? Uh, but the question is, do you trust that other person? I don't really know what it looked like to leave their nets and follow Christ. The, 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 the story here literally almost leaves you in, in the middle with James and John's dad standing in the boat with a bunch of hired hands. And they literally walked out, dropped the nets and began to follow Jesus. I do think that was their, the story was immediate like that. But there was a context. I told you they had known and followed Jesus. Here's what I can tell you. When they followed Jesus, it cost them something. They, they left behind something. They left behind a job, a wage. They left behind family, right? John and, and, and James left behind their dad in the boat with the hired hands. We don't know the rest of the story. In fact, I've, I, when I was studying for this week, I, I, was off, I was thinking, what happened to their businesses? Like, what did they tell their wives? What do you say? Because that's your income. I was, I was just trying to think, what, 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 what did their dad process? Maybe he wasn't angry. Maybe he was happy because he knew. I don't know. So here's what I would like to invite you. Nobody follows Jesus without a personal cost. For James... John, Simon, and Peter, they knew they were, they were leaving something behind. You don't get to follow Jesus and maintain your old life. When the moment you follow Jesus as Lord, you lay down something. For these fishermen, it was their nets. So here's my invitation to you. I don't know what you need to lay down 
in order to follow Jesus or be transformed by Jesus? Are there habits that you're simply holding on to you don't want to change? Recognizing the personal cost? I don't know what it's going to mean for you to participate in Jesus' mission. Maybe it's making time to become better equipped and saying, I'm just so busy. I don't have the time to do those things. Here's what I'll tell you. There is no option for two-thirds discipleship where we get to follow Jesus or we, our lives are changing, but we don't, get, we don't have to make disciples. Follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, make disciples with Jesus. We pray and then ask our worship team to come and lead us in our last song. God, we thank you for this illustration we see in the scripture of Jesus inviting disciples, inviting followers. God, we ask that you would help us wrestle with the reality that Jesus' life and his mission centered on making disciples, inviting kingdom apprentices, and then laying his life down to bring us into that kingdom. Lord, we pray for this very simple definition that Jesus gives us in Mark 1.17. A disciple is somebody who is following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and on Jesus' mission. We invite you to work in our hearts to show us, God, where we can grow and how we can become a better disciple of you, become a better disciple maker of those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.